as Mitchell mentioned, uh, greetings to you from our brothers and sisters in Nepal and Kathmandu. Uh, we worshiped there last Sunday, and uh, what a joy to be able to worship with brothers and sisters around the world. Praise the Lord for His great grace. It's also a joy and uh, amazing in many ways to be able to touch base and renew friendships with people from many, many years ago, Dan and Joanne Ostendorf. Uh, they were in the church where I was first an associate pastor in Carbondale, Illinois, and to get to meet them after, I'm not going to mention how many years, uh, is just wonderful and amazing. We're going to be looking at uh, Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20, and uh, you may be wondering, uh, now I know this is the first Sunday of Advent, what does this have to do with Advent? Well, I think you're going to see that it fits very well because part of what we're learning this morning is how Jesus simply will not let anything get in His way to come to His people. And that is the message of Advent and of Christmas, that Christ will not let anything get in His way to come to bring the good news of salvation to His people. And uh, therefore, the application is, neither should we. So we're going to be looking at uh, Mark chapter 5 in just a couple moments. Years ago, I promised myself that I would never go to California or France. You see, California, and uh, if you're from California, well, I apologize. Uh, I'm a Midwest boy, and I'm not used to lots of people, and I'm not used to the fast pace that's out on the West Coast. And as far as France goes, I've heard that they are very unfriendly many times to Americans. When I became executive director for ITEM, I began to travel all over the world. Uh, the first year I visited uh, northern Illinois, Iowa, Kentucky, Atlanta, India, Canada, Alabama, Michigan, Latvia, Romania, Croatia, Ukraine, and you guessed it, California and France. I wonder for you, are there places where you also don't want to go? Now, maybe it's uh, certain countries that you don't want to go to. Uh, maybe it's the inner city 
big cities, maybe it's funeral homes, maybe it's nursing homes, hospitals, uh, homeless shelters, the valley of the shadow of death, strangers across the street. Jesus' disciples found themselves going to places that they didn't want to go to either. But Jesus wanted to take them there. So, let's read more about it. Let's stand again as we look at Mark chapter 5, 1 through 20. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately... There met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What do you have to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. Having been on a farm and raised pigs, I always felt that the pigs got the short end of this one. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. And the herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their reason, region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with the demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. Let's pray. Our Father, we stop to remember how much you care about us and that you're not willing to let us or this world go. You're still wanting to redeem your people and your creation. 
Lord, this morning, capture our attention so that your Holy Spirit can speak to our hearts and you can change us. And then, Father, send us to a hungry and hurting world. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. It had already been a pretty scary night for the disciples. They had been crossing the Red Sea, and a storm came up, the likes of which even they, as experienced sailors, really had not seen before. The winds and the waves threatened to overturn the boat, and here was Jesus in the boat, sleeping away. And so they woke him and said, don't, don't you care that we may be perishing? And Jesus stood up and simply spoke, be quiet, be still. And the waves became like a glassy, calm sea. And I suspect that at this point, the disciples were probably more afraid of the man who was in the boat with them than they had been with the winds and the waves outside the boat. So quietly now, they continued to row across the Sea of Galilee, and they came to the southeastern portion of the area, an area that was kind of unusual. It, was the, uh, it had uh, high, white uh, limestone cliffs, and the people in the area had often hollowed out holes in those cliffs where they buried their dead. So in the early morning light, I suspect that those holes may have looked a little bit like the eye sockets in a skull. And the disciples probably wonder, what are we doing here? Why are we here? Why did we have to come in the middle of the night? Why not during the day? This was an area that was usually not inhabited by Jews, but by Gentiles. So Jews weren't in the habit of coming here. As soon as they get out of the boat, here is this wild man running towards them, screaming at the top of his lungs at them. The disciples were about to discover several important truths that I hope we can see as well. The first one is, there is no place where Jesus will not go. The disciples were beginning to discover that little by little. They didn't want to go through Samaria, but Jesus purposely took them through Samaria and they met a uh, prostitute that uh, Jesus ministered to. The disciples didn't want to go to lepers. Lepers were off base. But Jesus went to them and touched them. 
the disciples really didn't want to go around poor people, hungry people, when Jesus was feeding the 5,000 and the 4,000. They were ready to shove them off, but Jesus wanted to minister to them. It was getting downright dangerous for Jesus to go to Jerusalem, and yet He went anyway, knowing that He was going towards His death. Uh, Thomas says, well, let's go and die with Him. Always the positive one. We really don't want to go to certain places because it's dangerous. But Jesus kept moving there. Why was Jesus taking them to this particular area? Well, it's going to become clear there's one person that he wants to see, this demoniac. And as soon as he sees him, they get in the boat and they go back again to the other side and minister to others. There really is, though, no place where Jesus will not go. He went to the Garden of Gethsemane and wrestled with his own concerns about the cross. He went to the trials knowing that they would not be fair and he would be mistreated and misunderstood and beaten. He went to the cross knowing that even his heavenly Father was going to forsake him there and he was going to face the wrath of God alone. He went to the grave for three days. The hardest places to go to are the places where we may go alone, where we know that we're going to face pain, where we have to wait until God is finished with whatever He is doing. Jesus proved here and He proved throughout His ministry that His goal was to go wherever the Father took Him in order to accomplish the Father's purposes and to bring about His glory. And there's no place where He will not take His disciples as well. But we don't go alone. Remember how in the Great Commission... Jesus says, lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the world. He's going to send us to make disciples any and everywhere. And uh, we can fill in the blanks, except that there are no blanks. He may send us to California. He may send us to France. It's scary until we remember those words at the end of the Great Commission. I will be with you always. Now, why are there places where we don't want to go? I think mainly because they're unknown. And uh, therefore, there are things that we can't prepare for. And there's surprises, and sometimes they're scary. But they're not unknown to Jesus. He's been there before. They don't surprise Him. They're not scary to Him. And He will go with us when we go 
to those places. So why is it that there is no place where Jesus won't go? It's because, secondly, there's no person that Jesus will not reach out to. Consider this man here, this uh, demoniac. He was crazy. No other word for it. He was violent, unpredictable, wild, uncontrollable, rough, unpleasant, naked, dirty, unwanted by anyone, and under the devil's influence. Totally broken. Society had gotten rid of him, driven him out. In short, this man was a mess. Impossible in every way. But Jesus reaches out to him, to this one man. The disciples, like all people, avoided the lepers. Jesus touched them. They avoided the hungry and the hurting. Jesus cared for them. They avoided the Samaritans. They were unclean. They were half-breeds. Jesus reached out to them and touched them. The disciples had the problems with the poor and the hurting. Jesus touched them. Do you have people that you really are not comfortable reaching out to? People that you really don't want to mingle with, touch, uh, get involved with? Uh, people that you just don't like? <clears throat> Maybe they're people of different political persuasions. Maybe they are liberals. Maybe they are homosexuals and lesbians. Maybe they're homeless. Dirty people, poor people, angry people, complainers. Nobody likes to be around complainers. Whiners, selfish and uh, self-centered people, angry people, people just hard to get along with. Maybe they're people that you tried to get along with, but things really didn't work out. It's about 10 years ago now, I heard about a man in our area who uh, was a pastor, and uh, I had heard that he was in the forefront of every liberal parade that there was. And uh, somebody said to me one day, you ought to get to know him. Why? I tried to put that out of my mind. But I think God kept bringing this man back to my mind. So finally, okay, I called him. We decided to have lunch together. And while we were having lunch, I began to hear this man's heart. Uh, his struggles with his own family, uh, his concern for his congregation. And I began to realize, 
here's a man who needs the gospel like I need the gospel every day. And so I began to get to know him and to pray for him, and we still get together. And we still talk about the gospel. And I'm finding a man who needs the Lord just the way I need the Lord as well. Sometimes I think we avoid certain people because we're not sure the Lord can save them. They are such a mess with so many problems that we think, maybe God can justify them, but I don't know about Him sanctifying them. What our passage clearly shows us here that there is no power that Jesus cannot overcome. This man was in the grips of the devil. Deep psychological, physical, emotional, social pain. He had wounds that were a lot deeper than those scars that he inflicted on himself with the stones that he cut himself with. And they're all brought about by demons. 6,000 of them to be exact because that's what the word legion means. It was a word for the number of men in a Roman legion which was about 6,000. Now, demons. These are not the cute little demons with the little pitchforks and things like that. Think, for example, orcs. Those ugly creatures in the Lord of the Rings. And even worse than that, demons bent on this man's misery and destruction. But ultimately, Jesus was in control, and the demons knew that. They understood that He was sovereign, that He could send them wherever He wanted, that He could destroy them simply by a word from His mouth. This was the kind of power that this man was under. But Jesus' power was greater. Today, people still face all kinds of challenges, psychological issues, social issues, economic issues. And I think we are now so sophisticated that we don't think of and see the devil behind the trials and the difficulties that people in our lives are experiencing. The devil is still working, but Jesus is still sovereign, and He can still overcome each and every one of those powers. Oh, I think we believe that Jesus can certainly justify people, but can He really sanctify them? Can He really clean them up? You've probably heard that... Uh, evangelistic slogan. I don't particularly like it. Uh, it says, uh, sinners, you catch them, He'll clean them. Well, Jesus catches them and cleans them. And He cleans them completely. 
Look at the changes that are brought about in this man. And they're immediate. Now, most of the time, the sanctification changes in our lives and in the people around us, uh, they're not that fast. Probably because we couldn't take it if God brought about those kinds of transformations that quickly. And uh, we might then be subject to pride if we gain sanctification that quickly. Here, it's almost instantaneous, and I think it is because Jesus wanted the disciples to see how much He could change someone in a matter of simply moments because they were not going to be around this man for very long. They were getting ready to go back in the boat again. And I think Jesus wanted them to see His power of transformation in this one man's life. So whether it's quickly or it's quietly, Jesus' love is still sovereign, even today. I wonder, do you know any people in your life who are a mess? If you don't, I would ask you, why not? Because they're all around us. Rather than writing them off and uh, ruling them out of the kingdom, we need to reach out to them instead. Because you see, if you look at verses 15 and 16, there is also no peace that Jesus will not give. Notice how in verse 15 it describes the change in this man. Sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, there was such a transformation. They remembered what he was like, and they were simply shocked to see him in this situation. Peaceful, quiet, in his right mind, thinking again for himself, and clothed. Now, why is that detail mentioned? I think it's talking about more than simply clothes that he probably got from the disciples and put on. I think it's really about being clothed in the righteousness of Christ. You see, so often when we're thinking about changes coming into people's lives, they're usually outward changes. The way of thinking or uh, acting or dressing or associating. The changes that Christ brought about in this man were from the inside out and from the top down so that he would be acceptable to Christ. It's not an issue of whether somebody becomes acceptable to us or not. It's are they acceptable to Christ? And the only way that they're acceptable to God is through the righteousness of Christ that we are clothed with. Those are the changes that are needed for the kingdom. And Jesus gave this man peace. 
peace with God. He was in his right mind. He was thinking rightly now. He was seeing things rightly. And from his peace with God, he was also at peace with himself for the first time in his life, perhaps. Not tearing at himself. And he was going to be at peace with his community, his family, restored to them once again. They knew that something supernatural had happened here. So what are the changes that Jesus can bring to us, that He needs to bring to us? What are the changes that He needs to bring to the people around us? Can He do that? Can He? Of course He can. That's simple for Him. He is the great transformer. But I want us to look at one more transformation that takes place here in this man in verses 18 through 20. Where he had once feared Jesus, now he had faith in Jesus. Where once he had been controlled by demons, he was now under the control of the Lord and Savior. Where once he had been self-destructive, now Jesus is going to send him to deliver others. Where he had feared and avoided people, now Jesus was going to send him back to those people. A changed man with a changed mission. Jesus is going to use this man to spread the gospel to the people in his area because, you see, there is no person that Jesus cannot use as well. And that includes you and me. I think sometimes the real reason why we are hesitant of sharing the gospel, bringing the good news of Jesus Christ to the people around us who may be a mess is that we know ourselves to be a mess as well. Maybe it's things in our past that we think, you know, if I went to so-and-so and talked to them, maybe they know about me. And they would ask, who are you? Who are you to talk to me about sin and forgiveness? And so we're hesitant to go to other people. We're afraid to go to people who we don't like or who don't like us. This man had all the reasons not to go and talk to anybody about Jesus. And yet Jesus could use him. And apparently Jesus did use him. We hear that uh, this was the Decapolis area. Archaeologists have been finding evidence of many, many churches in this area. Where did those churches come from? We have no record of Jesus or any of His disciples ever going back there again. So how did these people in these churches come to know about Christ? Could it have been this one man who Jesus sent back to His own family to tell them what great things Christ had done for them and the mercy that He had had on them? 
Could it be that God used this man? Jesus can use all of us. But uh, you might be thinking, well, if I could talk like a pastor talks, if I had those words just right at the edge of my tip of my tongue and I could just give the answers and things like that, yeah, that, that would be easy, sure. But I'm not like that. I'm shy. And I get my tongue tangled when I get nervous and I talk to people about Jesus. I graduated from high school with a young man by the name of Sylvan Knobloch. Now, Sylvan was one of those young men who was always kind of in the background because, you see, Sylvan had a great difficulty stringing together a whole sentence. He would get his tongue tangled. He was nervous. And so, Sylvan just kind of stayed in the background. We all graduated. We went our separate ways. And in a year or two, as I was working at the local nursing home there, Sylvan was working there too. And uh, somebody one day said to me, hey, did you hear that Sylvan is going to become a pastor? And he's going to be preaching in his home church in Waterloo next Wednesday. And I thought, oh, i got to hear this. I, I can hardly believe that. So I went, and Sylvan gave one of the clearest presentations of the gospel that I had ever heard, and a powerful presentation. And it was obvious to the people who knew Sylvan that it was God speaking through him. God had brought these changes in his life so that he could use Sylvan and he would be glorified through Sylvan. Jesus is simply not limited. That's one of the reasons why we read Luke 1 this morning. Nothing is impossible with the Lord. There's no place where Jesus won't go. There's no person that he won't reach out to. There's no power that he can't overcome. There's no peace that he can't bring to people's lives. And there's no person that he can't use. I was going to bring, but naturally forgot, I was going to bring a baseball. A baseball in my hands is worth maybe about $10. But you put that baseball in the hands of someone like Adam Wainwright, and it's worth a whole lot more. Or if I brought a tennis racket, a tennis racket in my hands is worth maybe about $15, $20. You put a tennis racket in um, uh, Roger Federer's hands, and it becomes very, very valuable. Guess what? Jesus in John 10 
talks about us being in His hands. And therefore, we are very valuable because He is going to use us. He's not limited. So this Christmas season, a season that people maybe are a little more open to hearing about the Lord, this is the time to talk to them about the Lord. Regardless of the messes in their lives, regardless of the messes in your life, wherever God's taking you, it's probably not going to be places like Nepal, but it may be across the street to a new neighbor. Jesus will go with you. And He can work in that person's life, and He can work through you. This is the season to really understand Jesus is not limited. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, You remind us that uh, You'll do whatever You want to do and have to do to reach Your people and bring them in Your kingdom. You did the impossible bringing Jesus here to earth. We would never have done salvation this way wouldn't have even entered our mind but you were pleased to do that simply to show us nothing is impossible with you forgive us father when we limit you and we limit Jesus we confess our failure and we ask you once again to use us, to keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who goes before us, who goes with us, so that you could work through us to make disciples. Like Isaiah, help us to respond, here am I. Send me.